Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, and being let go. Now we're picking up in the middle of something. Remember that Peter and John had witnessed of Jesus. They'd healed an impotent man and, and done miracles and so forth. And they'd been arrested for preaching about Jesus. Folks, I think that day may not be far off in America. Amen. You preach about Jesus, you're going to be arrested. Just hang on and watch the news, right? Film at 11, I guess. But we're in the middle of that, and now the council has told them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And so it says, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand to be done. You see, what was done to Jesus was done only because he allowed, he and God allowed it, right? That's what it's saying right there. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Now get verse 31. Here it comes. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, and they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I believe the greatest need in America today and the greatest need in the Lord's churches today, folks, is prayer. Amen. Not just any prayer. I referred to it before as down on your knees, face in the dirt, prayer before God. I mean serious prayer. Prayer that has power with God. You know, I read many of the great prayers in the Bible, and I just ask myself, why can't God's people pray like that today? Why don't we have that kind of power in prayer today? Well, folks, God has not changed. God's Word has not changed. So if we're looking for a reason that we don't have great power in prayer today, maybe we need to go look in the mirror, right? right? Look at the prayer in our text. I said Peter and John had been arrested. They'd been beaten. They'd been told not to preach in the name of Jesus ever again, and they were released. And Peter went and reported to the church in Jerusalem, and we read verse 24 that said, when the church heard that, that's the they there, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. They began to pray. But notice how they prayed. They lifted up their voice with one accord. That's important. Don't read over that and miss that. Can you imagine here is a church that is united. Here is a church that is praying and everybody is praying the same thing at the same time. Amen. Can you imagine the power in that kind of praying? Look down to verse 31. 
And when they had prayed, what happened? The place was shaken. Woo! What would happen if we had that kind of prayer meeting and this old building just started shaking? The ground under it began to shake. I think some of us would be scared to death. What's happening? We're having an earthquake. But they prayed and God shook that place where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Now what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It doesn't mean to do some silly stuff the way some people think it does. It means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Their praying was controlled by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in a moment. And everything that they did was to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And they, here it is, they spake the word of God with boldness. Do we speak the word of God with boldness today? Or when we talk to people about the Lord, do we almost apologize for Jesus ever coming and people being sinners and people needing Christ? They said boldly. You know, a man that doesn't know he has a need won't try to fill that need. A lost man has a great need. A lost man needs to know Jesus Christ as Savior, but he needs to know that he has the need. And how's he going to know that he has the need if God's people don't show him the need? From the word of God. And so they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Why can't we have a prayer meeting like that today? Folks, we can. We could. You know what the problem is? Going to meddle, all right? You know what the problem is? Many of God's people are out of fellowship with the Heavenly Father. We try to go through something we call prayer and we're not even talking to God. Remember the Pharisee who prayed within himself? <laughs> he prayed to himself. He didn't pray to God. And another problem is sometimes we're just not serious in our praying. Or we ask for the wrong things in the wrong way. What does James chapter 4 verse 3 say? He says you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. That means in the wrong way. And he goes on to say because you want to consume it upon your own lust. Lord give me a new Cadillac. I wouldn't even want one. Personally, you may drive a Cadillac. That's fine. I don't mean to offend you if you do. I'd say the same thing about a Lincoln. I drive a 21 year old Toyota. All right, <laughs> And it gets me where I want to go. But, I mean, people pray about so many things today they want to consume upon their lust. Or we don't have a real faith in God when we pray. I'm going to pray about this. And maybe if I'm lucky, God will grant this prayer. That's not faith in God. Somebody said it this way. Faith is not believing that God can, but believing that God will. And that he does. And then sometimes some folks pray and they're just unwilling to obey God, but they're going to pray anyway. Don't expect those prayers to be answered. The fact is we can have an earth-shaking prayer meeting, but it's going to take some real commitment to God, some real commitment to Christ, some real commitment on our part to praying and to studying God's word and to be willing to be changed into what God wants us to be. We can't try to be like everybody else and fit in with the status quo and expect God to answer a prayer for revival. Amen. We can't play church and have that kind of a prayer meeting. We can't do the things that we want to do and be like so many churches and just go through the motions of worship and expect God to give us that kind of a prayer meeting. We got to be serious if we're really going to pray. There is power in prayer. Just think about Elijah. Elijah. 
Just think, I love Elijah. I love to preach about him. I want to be him, right? You've heard that. But just think about Elijah. He prayed that it might not rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for three and a half years, three years and six months. Then Elijah prayed that it would rain, and what happened? It didn't just sprinkle a little bit. It came a frog strangler, all right? It came a gully washer. It poured down rain. What kind of power is there? See, you have to notice how Elijah prayed. The scripture says in James chapter 5, he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. Well, what does that mean, he prayed earnestly? It may mean a lot of things to a lot of people. The language literally says he prayed with prayer. In other words, it's saying Elijah got with it. Elijah meant business when he prayed to God. The word earnestly in our language means characterized by or proceeding from an intense and serious state of mind. So Elijah didn't just say, Lord, stop the rain. He's down on his face before God saying, Lord, show yourself. Show your glory and give a sign to these people that you're not playing around with them. When Elijah prayed, he meant business with God. That's what it's saying. And by the way, note what it says about the kind of prayer that Elijah prayed and the kind of person that prays that kind of prayer. First of all, it said he was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what? A lot of people think Elijah and Paul and some of those folks we read about in the Bible were super saints. You know, they had something we don't. and They had some relation with God that we'll never have. And they could do all of these things. But, you know, we're here and toward the end of days, believers, you know, and we just don't have any power. And we're just trying to get through, trying to hook in and hang on, you know, trying to make it. The Bible says Elijah was just like you and me. Isn't that amazing that a man just like you and me can have that kind of power? Remember Elijah, his depression? You ever get depressed? You ever get discouraged? I tell you what, preachers do. Elijah was a man just like us. He got depressed when Jezebel said, after he'd killed the prophets of Baal, Elijah, or Jezebel said, well, I'm going to kill you too. And he ran out in the wilderness and he sat down under a juniper tree and he said, God, kill me. I don't want her to. He was just like us. But he prayed with power. That ought to encourage us to seek to pray with power. And here's what it says about him, because what kind of prayer is answered? It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what kind of man Elijah was. This term effectual fervent has the idea of energetic. In fact, I shared with you the word that is translated effectual fervent to see that we probably get our word energy from it. How many of our prayers are non-energetic? There's no energy to them. You know, it's time to pray. Okay, let's pray. Let's bow our head and let's pray. And we almost go to sleep while we're praying. Now, if you go to bed at night and you go to sleep while you're praying, that's great. I prayed last night. Lord, help me get to sleep. I did. I honestly did. We, were, we didn't get our extra hour last night. I'm not going to go into that story. We didn't get our extra hour last night. It was about 1.30 this morning, standard time, when we finally went to bed. And I said, Lord, please help me go to sleep. And I went to sleep praying to go to sleep. That's an answer to prayer, folks. But when we're in a worship service and our praying is such that we just almost put ourselves to sleep praying, there may be something wrong. The effectual from energetic, active, active in operation, real prayer, prayer that has power with God. That's the way Elijah prayed. I want to mention one more, and then we're going to turn over to the book of Daniel for just a few moments. But think of the Gethsemane prayer of Jesus. 
Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the prayer that he prayed. Now, if you go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, let us know that who the writer is talking about is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, it says of him, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, note that, unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Strong talked about forcible here. There's force in the praying of Jesus. You say, of course he was. It was Jesus. But that meant there was some power behind it. It's translated in other places in the scripture. Mighty and powerful. Jesus is praying a powerful prayer here. Crying. This is an interesting word. It talked about to scream. To cry out aloud. You know, I've always imagined, until I really looked into that word, I always imagined Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane sort of quietly praying. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But this says, he, he cried aloud. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And in fact, Luke twenty-two forty-four tells us, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. That means more intently, more fervently, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He prayed, the scripture says, in agony, in anguish. Let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed in agony? Have you ever prayed? What do you mean prayed in agony? Were you so burdened that you fell to your knees both in your heart and in your flesh? You fell to your knees before God and you had to cry out with a loud voice exclaiming, God, help me. Folks, I prayed that way. And I'll tell you what, you'll do that when the doctor tells you your mother has a brain has brain cancer and only has a couple of months to live. And she says to you, would you do me a favor? Would you preach my funeral? You'll do that when the weight of the world is upon you. And you feel the weight of the world coming down upon you. And you have to have some relief. And you know the only one that can help you is God. You'll fall on your face before him and you'll say, God, help me. You'll pray in agony. You'll do that. When you feel the burden of the entire church and the church's future upon you, you'll pray, God, help me. And you'll do it with strong crying and you'll do it with tears also. I fear that too many of our prayers and too many prayers of the saints today are weak and ineffective and they come from here up instead of from here up. The Lord's churches in this God bless America, as I said, are in a crisis today. And they need the effectual, fervent prayers of God's people, folks. Amen. Somebody said this, one of these days soon, if we do not change, we're going to wake up and find the America that we once knew and the liberty we once enjoyed as the Lord's churches are gone. Yes. Now for the re remainder of this message, I want us to turn over to the book of Daniel in fact, I want us to turn to Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to look at just a few verses because Daniel prays. I said, these are some of the great prayers of the Bible. Daniel prays in Daniel chapter 9. Remember, he's been given the vision of what's referred to as his 70th week. And you look at the end of chapter 8, and here's what he says at the end of chapter 8. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood. And he said, God gave me this vision, didn't understand it. Remember, Gabriel came and explained the vision to him. Michael the archangel had battled with Satan over some things. And so he says, nobody understood the vision. But I want you to notice that Daniel prayed for two things in these 
verses we're going to look at, Daniel prayed for the deliverance of Israel and Daniel prayed for the understanding of the vision and we could be praying for the same things today. Folks, we need to pray for deliverance. What do you mean pray for deliverance? Listen, America has been taken captive by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen. We need to pray for God's deliverance of this great nation of ours. And we need to pray for understanding that the eyes of God's people would be opened that we'd understand. We're living in the last days. Jesus is coming back. And if a person is lost and they are lost when Jesus returns, that's it for them. They've heard the gospel and rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. But we're not going to look so much at the content of Daniel's prayer. We're going to look at the construction of Daniel's prayer. We're not going to look at what he prayed for, but we're going to look at how he prayed. Because he prayed with power, and he got the answer to his questions, and you and I need to learn to pray with power. I want us one of these days to have one of those Acts chapter 4 type of prayer meetings. Where God just shakes the building and everybody in it, where we say we need to wake up. First of all, if we're going to have powerful prayer, we need to pray with a serious concern. Amen. With a serious concern. Look at verse 3 in Daniel Chapter 9, Daniel says, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. What does he say? I set my face toward God. That word set means to direct or to fashion. Daniel's saying, I prayed with some purpose. I prayed with some seriousness. I'm afraid sometimes our prayers as God's people are like shotgun blasts. You know? Daniel had a focus in his praying. And he said, I'm praying for this and I'm talking to God about it. I'm serious about it. I'm focused on it. Have you ever prayed, dear Lord, I'm praying with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of my being about this thing. We have a lot of prayer today. But a lot of our prayers are of little effect. You know why? It's not the arithmetic of our prayers, folks. It's not how many prayers we pray. It's not the rhetoric of our prayers that matters. How eloquent. I've heard people talk about, oh, brother so-and-so used to be able to pray such an eloquent prayer. Yeah, but was he getting above the ceiling? Amen. You say, why would you say that? Remember, I just mentioned him earlier, Luke 18, the Pharisee who stood there and said, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not like this public and I'm not like other men. Lord, basically saying, Lord, you're lucky to have me. I fast and I tithe and I do all of these things. And how did that publican pray? On his knees, wouldn't even look up, hit himself on the chest, and prayed, I believe, one of the most eloquent prayers in the Bible. He prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. That's all he could pray. <laughs> but that's what he prayed. And you know what Jesus said? He went home justified. The Pharisee didn't. The man with the eloquent prayer didn't. The publican went home justified. And it's not the geometry of our prayers either. What's the geometry of our prayers? How long they are? Listen to Mark chapter 12, verse 38, beginning there and going through verse 40. Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses. Here it is. And for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive the greater damnation. I heard this story told. It was told as the truth. The preacher it was told about, I can figure that he probably did it. 
was in a worship service and he called on a man to lead in prayer and the man prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, you know. And finally ended his prayer and said, Amen. And everybody sat down and the preacher said, I'll stand for prayer. And he called on the same man. And the man prayed and prayed, not quite as long, and said amen, and everybody sat down, and the preacher said, let's all stand for prayer. And called on the same man to pray again. And this time this man prayed only two or three words, a real short prayer, and everybody sat down, and the preacher looked at him and said, now stay caught up. Amen. Folks, it's not how long we pray. It's not the geometry of our prayers. It's not the emotion, how sweet they are. It's not the logic. Does it present a good argument to God? It is the faith and fervency of our prayers that matter before God. Amen. We want to talk about this nation and pray for the nation. Folks, we've got to talk about the house of God first. We've got to pray for the house of God first. You know, I hear people quote, they talk about, oh, we need to pray for the nation. And they immediately, they want to quote 2 Chronicles 7.14, Right? That wasn't given to God's people in America. That wasn't given to America. That was given to Israel as God's people. And we can apply it to us as God's people. If my people, God said, which are called by my name. See, when the house of God will get right, when the Lord's churches get right, then other things will start getting right. 1 Peter 4.17, I preached from it not too many months ago. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And the Lord's churches across this land today are guilty of playing church. Of praying without fasting. Guilty of witnessing without tears. I like what the psalmist said, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Of giving without sacrifice. Is it any wonder that we sow without reaping today? We don't go out and sow with tears. Prayer is the order of the day, and not just any prayer, but notice what he said, prayer and fasting. Now it may seem odd, in the 21st century we talk about fasting. Is fasting in the Bible? Yes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus is talking about prayer. And what he's saying is, when you pray, don't pray to be seen to men. I'm sorry, that's Matthew 6, verse 5. When he says, don't pray to be seen to men. And then you can look down to verse 16 there in that 6th chapter. And he said, moreover, when you fast. Not if you fast. He said, when you fast. He links prayer and fasting together in this 6th chapter of Matthew. Someone said churches have gone from the upper room to the supper room. Okay? That's what a lot of churches have done today. Now, I'm not against fellowships. It's obvious that I like to eat. Okay? And I think we need times of fellowship, and we're going to have some fellowships. But there's also fasting. God had some feast days for Israel, but he also talked about fasting in the Word of God. We start thinking about fasting, immediately we think about doing without food. Fasting can be something other than food that we go without. There have been times that I've been so caught up in sermon preparation, work is studying the Word of God and getting things together. I'll look up, you know, and, and I started, you know, 7, 8 o'clock, and I look up and all of a sudden it's 1 or 2 o'clock. I hadn't even thought about food. Is that fasting? I think it is. So caught up in spiritual matters and doing these things that the needs of the flesh don't even make a dent, you know, that we don't even recognize them. 
Fasting may mean going without food. It may mean going without water. It may mean going without sleep. I've done that. One of the favorite times to work on sermons is because nobody's going to call you. It starts about midnight. You know. Now, I hate getting those calls at 10 o'clock in the morning that say, did I wake you? Or at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, somebody called, oh, preacher, did I wake you? No. All right. You call it midnight, maybe, maybe not. But to get to working and studying the Word of God at midnight, and you, you don't even think about sleep because you're into the Word of God. You know, when I quit at those times, when I keep doing that, you know, and I keep going back and read the same verse over and over and over. Okay, all right, I'm, I'm done. All right, I've got to stop now. But it may mean doing without sleep. It's all for a spiritual purpose. Listen, fasting is spiritual activity when it's done properly. And the Bible teaches prayer and fasting. Will fasting make you more spiritual? Not necessarily. But if you're more spiritual, you might fast. What can fasting do? It can strengthen your prayer life. Listen to Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God. Notice what he said, rend your heart and not your garments. Turn unto the Lord God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Jeremiah 29, 13, God said, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. He can hold back judgment. Jeremiah 18, verse 7, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. God says, if you'll repent, I won't do what I was planning to do. Remember Jonah in Nineveh? Jonah's the only preacher that ever got mad about a revival service when people were revived. You know, he went to Nineveh and he preached and he said, you know, God's going to destroy Nineveh. You need to repent. And listen to what it says. He says, so the people of Nineveh believed God and they proclaimed a feast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Verse 10 says, and God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. They fasted and they prayed and they repented and God repented from the evil that he planned and the preacher got mad. Lord, I wanted to see you wipe them out. (laughs) And you didn't do it. And Jonah's upset. Listen, we have one of those kind of revivals here. You're not going to see this preacher get upset. I'm not wanting to see God wipe you out. Or wipe us out either. Half-hearted praying is an abomination to God. And may God forgive us for our weak, lazy, repetitious, memorized, unenthusiastic, unenergetic, ineffective praying. Folks, it's time to get serious with God and it's time to start praying. Number two, we must pray with steadfast confidence. Look at verse four here. Daniel says, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Daniel had confidence. Confidence in who? He had confidence in Almighty God. Listen, man will let you down. There's a reason I said last week, you don't worship this preacher. I'm not planning to let you down. But mankind will let you down. 
Daniel set his face with sackcloth and ashes and fasting toward God, and he did it with great confidence. Face your problem, but focus on God. Remember Peter walking across the water? As long as he looked at Jesus, what? He's walking on the water. What happened when Peter looked at the problem? When Peter looked at the storm, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he began to seek and he had to cry out, Lord, save me. Daniel knew that God was dreadful and he knew that God is great and full of mercy. Daniel 9, 9, to the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness though we have rebelled against him. See, the basis for our prayers is the greatness and the mercy of God. Aren't you thankful you serve a God who will listen to you? In fact, who wants you to pray? You know, I'm a dad. Y'all know that. I love to have my children talk to me. I love to hear from them. Even when they have problems. Even when it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight. Dad loves to hear from them. He doesn't always react the way God does, okay? <laughs> you understand that? But he loves to hear from them. It's impossible to see the greatness of God and the mercy of God and not pray with confidence toward God. Amen. The basis, by the way, for Daniel's prayer, you know what the basis of Daniel's prayer was? Now you've got to stay with me on this. The blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Daniel at verses 20 and 21 here in the ninth chapter of Daniel because you may not see that. Daniel says he was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel about the time of the evening oblation. Now what was the evening oblation? It was a sacrifice that was made in the temple at a certain time of the day. When Daniel prayed this there had been no temple for 70 years. But about the time that sacrifice was supposed to be made, that's when Daniel is praying. You know what he's about? He's looking back to a sacrifice from 70 years ago. And he's praying at that time of the day. What did the evening oblation picture? All of those sacrifices pictured the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. So Daniel's looking back. We look back, okay? By the way, the evening oblation was between 3 and 4 p.m. The New Testament calls it the ninth hour. And that is the time when Jesus was on the cross and he bowed his head and he dismissed his spirit from his body. It's no accident. Isn't it amazing how God does things? Daniel's looking back to a sacrifice. We look back to Calvary. And you know what the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5? For there's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. You don't have to go through your pastor to talk to God. Amen? Amen. You don't have to confess your sins to me. You confess them to God. All right? When we pray, we pray to God in Jesus' name. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church. How? By Christ Jesus. It's all about Jesus, folks. When Daniel prayed, he looked backward, but he was also looking forward. Again, because all of those Old Testament sacrifices pictured the death of the Lord Jesus for our sin. The plain message is this. It's the blood of Jesus, God's Son, that cleanses us from all iniquity. We must pray with confidence. Do you have confidence that God can change your life? Amen. To his glory, by the way. Do you have confidence in God that we can have victory in Jesus? 
Or is that just a song we sing sometimes? Oh, victory in Jesus. Okay, maybe it'll happen. Do you have confidence that God can bless and grow this church and save this nation? Amen. You should. Number three, pray with sincere confession. Look at verses four through seven. We've already read verse four. What did Daniel confess? We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as at this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. What's Daniel doing? He's confessing the sins. He said of me, he said my sin, and the sin of my people, Israel. Daniel confessed personal sin and Daniel confessed national sin. Have you noticed in the Bible you'll not find one sin attributed to Daniel? Now that doesn't mean he was without sin because the scripture says if we say that we haven't sinned we call God a liar and that's a sin. So Daniel's confessing his sins. By the way, there's not a person in this building that doesn't sin. Thanks be to God that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Daniel confessed his sins and he confessed the sins of Israel. He prayed for the forgiveness of national sins. These are not necessarily Daniel's sins that he names. They're national sins. You know what this is? This is identification prayer. He's identifying with Israel. I'm a part of Israel. The nation has committed this sin. I'm just as guilty, at least by association. And Lord, forgive me and forgive them. My nation has sinned. Please have mercy on us. If you've noticed, I don't pray God bless America anymore. I pray, Lord, have mercy on America. Folks, I think we're to the point in this country that that's what we need to pray is that God will be merciful to us as a nation we need to identify. We who are God's people in this nation need to identify with this nation and pray for this nation and we need to confess our greed. We are a materialistic nation. Before you could get to Labor Day, good Christmas stuff was out at Walmart. Oh, this is how people get ready. For, no, this is about money. Money, money, money. You just look at all of the things that are done for money. We're a materialistic nation. We need to repent. I'm talking about me and you for our nation. We need to repent of the sexual immorality of this nation. Amen. God forgive America for her sexual immorality. For her commission of abomination. Things that you call in your word abomination. Sodomy. Homosexuality, Lord, forgive us for that. To repent of the merciless killing of the unborn. You know, we've even approved in America what they call partial birth abortions. Where a baby is partially born and then you kill it. God, help us. We need to repent of the godless humanism that's invaded and pervaded our school system. Personal confession, yes. 
Confess your sins. I'll confess mine. Folks, it's time for repentance. And confess national sins. Identify with America as a citizen of this nation. And one more. We're to pray with spiritual concerns. What's Daniel's prayer? What's his concern in his prayer? Removal of guilt. We're going to see it in verse 16. And the restoration of glory. Look down at verse 16 here in Daniel chapter 9. Look at what he prays. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city of Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Listen, folks, in America today, the Lord's churches have had so much. And we have had so much opportunity. And we have done so little with it. Amen. We ought to be ashamed before God. I've not been to one. I've heard people who have been to some of the European churches. In the wintertime, you don't just come in. You come in with your overcoat and you sit there in your overcoat. You know, we don't. We're not adjusting the temperature up and down and all like we do in America. In the summertime, you stay as cool as you can, you know. And if you have a building, oh, we've been so blessed by God in America today. And we just haven't, we haven't done anything really with it. We need to pray, Lord, cleanse us. Lord, restore us. Lord, revive us. Lord, renew us. Lord, refresh us. We need to ask God to do what he did to those in Acts chapter 4. Lord, shake us. If you're not going to shake the building, shake the people. I think of that young man that fell out dead one time when Paul preached. I just wonder if, if we started off a service with about three or four people falling over dead in the aisles, I wonder if that would make a difference in our worship. So I'm not praying for that. And Daniel prayed, I like this part, for the restoration of glory. Look at verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Now look at verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. You know what Daniel's interested in? He's interested in God's glory. In the condition we're in, we're not bringing God glory. That's what he's saying. Restore glory to yourself. And I would say, we as the Lord's churches today might have to pray, Lord, in the condition we're in, we're not bringing you glory. Amen. Restore glory to yourself. Do you pray for the glory of God? You know what most people want? They want just enough revival to get us through so then we can return to our own ways and enjoy everything one more time that put us in the situation we're in. Do you have a yearning in your heart for the glory of God? You know, during COVID, I prayed this way. I said, Lord, just wipe this thing out. So it can't be explained by the scientists and by the doctors. And I just say, we don't know what happened. We don't know where it went. And then they'd have to confess. They wouldn't. But they'd have to confess to those people who prayed for it that it came from God. Why do you want people to be saved? Well, I don't want people to go to hell. 
That's good. They'll live a better life. All right. Why do you want people to be saved and added to this church? Well, we, we need to grow. We want to be bigger. We want to have more people. Well, that, I guess that's admirable. Why do we rejoice to see visitors? And we do. By the way, if you're watching by way of live stream, think about visiting here. Come on, we'll make you feel at home. Amen. As the saying goes, we'll treat you so many ways. You've got to like one of them, you know. Amen. And just ignore that crazy preacher, all right? Do we want these things for our benefit and for our good? Our folks, do we want these things for the glory of God? We ought to want to see people saved for the glory of God. There's a wonderful story, and I heard the man tell it. I don't know if any of you know who Jerry Vines is, was. I'm not going to labor that point. But he's telling a story about the salvation of his daddy. His dad was not saved. And he said, I had prayed for years and years and years for daddy to be saved. He said, I want my daddy to be saved so mom would have a saved husband and I'd have a saved daddy and we'd have a better home life and all these things, better family life. He said, one day I got convicted about that thing and I started praying that God would save my daddy for his glory, for God's glory. He said, one night I got home from church and I had a phone call from my mother. She said, son, it happened tonight. It happened. He said, I thought you were going to tell me my daddy had died. She said, your daddy was saved tonight. Folks, we need to start praying that people will be saved and added to this church for the glory of God. Not for the glory of the church, not for the glory of the preacher, not so we can just show somebody up or whatever we want in the meantime. We should want the glory of God, the removal of guilt and the glory of God. And that ought to be the concern of our prayers for our individual lives and for our church life. Once we get our praying straight, <laughs> we'll see some things change. And in fact, we start praying for people to be saved according to the glory of God or for the glory of God. We might see God working in a mighty way in this church. Amen. I'm going to be so bold as to say this. <coughs> we might see some church members get saved. Amen. Preacher. We don't have any litmus test for people who walk this aisle and say that they're saved. If they can give a pretty good confession, a pretty good profession, we'll receive them. And if they need to be, well, they need to be baptized, we'll baptize them. And we'll add them to the church roll. And then when they don't pan out, God gave us a way to take care of that too. That's all I'm saying. In closing, I want to ask you this. Are you on praying ground? It's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. And if you don't have a heart inclined to prayer, would you ask God to give you one today? I'm not trying to brag. I'm just telling you how it is. Everywhere I go, I'm praying. I walk through Walmart praying. I don't know why I keep mentioning Walmart. I ought to say Albertson. Shouldn't have really done. But I don't go there, man. <laughs> If you've been caught with the toys and the trivial things of the world and with the pride and the pleasure of life, would you say to God with strong crying and with tears, Lord, help me. Help me to put you first in everything. Lead me in your way today. And if you love this nation, do you know that the most patriotic thing that you can do is pray for America? Amen. One more thing and we're done. If you're not saved... Would you begin by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior? Not for patriotism's sake, 
Not because there's a death to die. Not because there's a judgment to face, but for the glory of God. Soon and very soon, you're going to stand face to face with Almighty God. If you're not saved, it'll be at the great white throne judgment of God, and you'll hear the most horrible words that a person can hear, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't want to face a God you do not know with sin that's unforgiven. And in closing, I'm going to address the church, and it's going to be right up here, and you can see it. To Bethel, I want us to have a prayer life that will not only rock this building, but one that will rock this city and will rock this nation. I encourage you to commit yourself to that kind of prayer today, to the kind of prayer that has power with God. Folks, I know we have folks in this church that pray. We have folks in this church that pray for their pastor because I couldn't do this if they weren't doing that. But we need everybody. We need every member, but not every member attends, okay? So we need every member of this church that is faithfully attending just to pray. Not so Brother Jim, but maybe, maybe you should pray that Brother Jim would be a better preacher. I don't know. Think that'd work? <laughs> think God would help me out there if I, I think he would. But we just need to pray for the glory of God that he would put people here that he wants here that will make this a church that will bring him the glory that he deserves. Amen.